0: There's a wonderful nervousness about being uh, able to, a blessing to preach to one of God's other flocks in a different pasture. I'm thankful to be here this morning. Let me let me first open in prayer. Uh, Lord, we'd ask that our time in your word this morning would be edifying, that it would knit us together, our relationships with one another, but most of all, it would Draw our hearts closer to you above all else, your son Christ, what he has done for us as we've just had the privilege of celebrating Easter last week. We thank you for what he has done and uh, just guide us this morning in this text in Romans. We just thank you for your word that we have it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, or a pew Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter five, if you would. I'm thankful that we still, uh, Matt and I, Pastor Matt and I both, uh, just decided to preach our Easter messages this morning. Thankfully, the tomb is still empty, so everything still applies, just as it did last week. I'm excited to Just thinking on that, I saw someone um, comment this week. In in that week after Easter, Jesus appears. He reveals himself to to disciples. He convinces doubters. He blesses those who believe without seeing. And he's hailed as my Lord and my God. So I, I pray that that would be the same here this morning. But we're thankful we still encounter the empty tomb. Thinking of um, just this passage in Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11, and thinking on Christ, both um, what he has done for us before um, he died and rose again, and now what he is still doing for us is what I want to look at this morning with just thinking on salvation. Every other hope we are reminded of salvation is empty, yet from a, an empty tomb, our hope springs from that and continues to do so until Christ returns. Everything prior to the resurrection moves toward it. Everything following rests upon it and is conditioned by it. This changed everything in history, all of history, not just biblical history or Christian's history. It changed all of history, but specifically for those who believe in Christ, we too will be resurrected again to eternal life. This is the greatest act of love the world has ever seen or will ever see, and I'm thankful to be able to um, just dig into Paul's words this morning on what Christ has done for us in reconciling us to God through his life and his death and his resurrection. Those three days, as we think of uh, just last week celebrating Easter, is a life-changing thing that has happened for us as believers in those three days when Christ was nailed to the cross, taking on the guilt of our sin, and during the wrath of God the Father, which we deserved, conquering death, rising again on the third day from the grave, victorious, and we are covered by the imputed righteousness of Christ. We're so, so thankful for that. Obviously, the greatest thing about the work of Christ, that free gift of salvation to those who would confess their sin, receive him as Lord and Savior, yet there's so much more to him. It is true that salvation can only come from Christ and through him, yet that's not the one thing Christ is limited to. And I think uh, Paul here in chapter 5 paints a wonderful picture of us of what Christ did before our salvation And what he still does for us after so through this passage this morning my hope my prayer is to draw both unbelieving and believing hearts to see the beauty of Christ in his fullness both before and after our salvation and we should freely admit we need Christ as Savior and Lord in our life our sin the suffering it brings as Paul's gonna bring suffering into the picture our sin and the suffering it brings is the worst thing about our lives this is why we need Christ as our Savior. We've sinned against our great and holy God. This is why we need him. We can easily wreck our lives with sin and with the consequences that come from it. When we give in to our own desires, we, we think and speak and act in ways we ought not to, and we suffer in other ways as well. It can be the result of others' sin against us that brings consequences in our lives. Suffering can come from Satan, from the fallen nature of our world, diseases, natural disasters, economic hardships that we encounter. There's just uncertainties in a chaotic world. And sufferings can then take many forms. We need to know Christ is there with us through all of it. So we're going to look at this short little process that Paul lays out in one through, uh, 1 through 5. He lays out this little process that happens in our Christian walk as we walk walk in obedience, pursuing the holiness that Christ has called us to, but he opens by speaking on how we are made to be in right standing before God through our faith in Christ and his death on the cross. He opens, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul is laying out the good news of Jesus Christ and has described this process in the Christian life after salvation. So we want to get a good handle on this before we move on to what Paul then applies in this and to this. God the Father has given you a new heart in Christ. He has opened your eyes to the glory of Christ. The Holy Spirit now dwells in you. And Paul says you will have joy in God himself. And along with that present joy, suffering is going to happen. It will happen to all of us in our Christian walk. We cannot avoid suffering. But that suffering then produces endurance which produces character, and then hope comes out of that character, and just as Paul then reminded us, joy comes out of that hope. As John Piper notes here, Paul's joy is not merely rooted in his great reward, but in the effect of suffering to solidify his hope in that reward. Afflictions produce endurance, Endurance produces a sense that our faith is real and genuine that strengthens our hope that we will indeed gain Christ. So in other words, this process, our joy in salvation helps our suffering and produces an endurance through that suffering which builds our character to be more like Christ, which produces hope from the progress we have made as a believer and also hope In Christ's faithfulness to us, which again leads us to joy. It's circular in a way. We see joy bookending this process. There is joy that just comes from our salvation that fuels everything else that then produces joy in our lives. How does this happen? We we see rejoicing from the outset when there's suffering taking place. As believers, we know our sufferings, our trials, our afflictions are never meaningless out of 1 Corinthians and also James. 1 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And later in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are Eternal. And out of James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So, suffering, it happens. Trials happen. That's why Paul is in addressing this and including these important things. Loss happens, physical, emotional, mental, financial sufferings of many kinds. We can't avoid these things, they are part of our lives. If you picture your life, your Christian walk, like a stairway until God calls you home, you can have all sorts of combination of stairs in this process that Paul lays out. You may have five stairs of suffering or you may have five flights of suffering. We just don't know what will happen. You could have unending joy for a, a long season of life, a true blessing. We just don't know the stairs we will encounter and in what order in our lives. But There's joy at the beginning, joy at the end. Joy is produced by the whole process itself. This is, this is a blessing we have through our salvation in Christ, joy and suffering, endurance, character, hope, and joy again to refuel us for that next round that we will endure. So we needed to just kind of come, get a handle, get a focus on that process, what we face as believers, how that process works. This is where Paul will give us some insight into Jesus, our life before Christ, what he has done for us, And after we read this with his death and resurrection, fresh on our minds from Easter, Paul goes on in verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. news for us thinking of Christ then before our salvation I think I think many believers rejoice in their salvation in their heart conversion from death to life what a praise Yet I think many still think God's heart for us in a way changes after that moment it's that somehow as believers He, when we sin, when we fall, he he somehow rolls his eyes at us like an earthly parent might. When we sin, again, the same thing we did yesterday that we told God we would turn from. We can kind of start to have that feeling of he's probably just so frustrated with us and we know the truth, our hearts have been changed and yet we still fall and in a way we, we just hang our head low. We assume there's some kind of disappointment from him. But Paul is encouraging us otherwise this morning of who Christ is and his character toward us. As a believer, it is a good thing that we feel more deeply about our sin. That is a good thing. And the seriousness of it, the gravity of our sin against God, even after salvation. But Paul laid out the blessings in those first few verses in that process, that life with Christ. So we know without Christ, our suffering is not producing any kind of hope or joy. Without Christ, though, God will use that to draw you to him when you get tired of exhausting all of your other options that you've worn out. Believers, we can rejoice, as Paul says, in the blessings that come from God's gracious salvation. But as we read through the last part of those texts, 6 through 11, you'll notice Paul repeated himself three times in those verses. While we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Thinking on those three things, we're still weak, still enemies. we're still sinners and enemies of him. And one commentator says it very well. To say the same truth backward, Jesus didn't die for us once we became strong. He didn't die for us once we started to overcome our sinfulness. God didn't reconcile us to himself once we became friendly toward him. God didn't meet us halfway. He refused to hold back, cautious, assessing our worth. God came to us in love. Christ took the initiative despite what we deserved. We were weak. We were sinners. We were enemies of God Paul calls our heart toward God before Christ as one of hatred. We are hostile toward him as unbelievers. We care nothing for him or about him. We are running the other way with, uh, while we are shouting with our ears plugged. We don't want anything to do with him before salvation. But God demonstrated his love for us by sending Christ to live, to die for our sin. He didn't just tell us about it. He demonstrated it. He did it for us. The Father's plan from eternity past was to send His only begotten Son to die for those who would receive Him as Lord and Savior. Without Christ, your sin will send you to eternal death. It is made very clear in Scripture. We deserved death. We deserved the death of Christ as those saved by Him. Remind yourself, that was my death on the cross that I deserved. That was my wrath to bear, and he took it on for me. That is Jesus then, before our being made right with God, while we were still sinners. And I love this verse from Hebrews 12 too. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. A love unfathomable, unmeasurable for us while we were still sinners, while we were weak, while we were enemies of God. For you and for me, dying for your sin was his joy. We cannot imagine what that would be like to to look joyfully upon the cross that he was to endure. God's love for us is beyond question. Beloved, if you are in Christ at this very moment, a love has been poured out for you that could never be earned, that can never be repaid. Think on these things deeply. Rejoice in that. Let that alone fuel your heart and love toward God. But Paul's not done, he keeps going. He not only encourages you based on the past work of Christ before salvation while you were weak and a sinner and an enemy of God. But listen to his words in 9 and 10. He says, Since therefore Christ did this for you, while you hated him, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This language of being saved In verses 9 and 10, it's it's looking ahead. Paul's looking ahead to final salvation. Referred not to the moment of your heart conversion toward him in this life, but entrance into eternal life with God in the next. So Paul, in other words, is saying it's impossible to be truly justified at conversion without God looking after us all the way into heaven. He will do that for you. Conversion to a heart for Christ, it doesn't erase your past, but it does enclose your future. That is our security in him. The most important thing is the fact that we are secure in Christ until the day he returns again, thankfully. I believe it was Spurgeon who said, if I could, maybe R.C. Sproul, I don't remember, he said if I could lose my salvation, I would. But thankfully, we are kept in Christ. That was Christ then. Then. Thinking on Christ now, if Christ died for us while ungodly and hostile in his enemy, how much more will he care for us in our present life until we are called to eternal glory with him? Nothing can undo what Christ has done, not even us. This is the beauty of his heart for us. And the picture we see of him after salvation, after his work on the cross, what he has done for us, the greater our sin, it's with all the more affection he wishes to help us overcome it. That is Christ's heart toward us. We must confess our sin and turn from it. There's no doubt about that. As we continue to pursue holiness and obedience that Christ calls us to if we are in him, but we are not left alone in this. Thinking on suffering that Paul has mentioned, knowing too that our sins have been covered by Christ, his shed blood on the cross for us, That we will be present with him in eternal glory that produces a rejoicing which affects the process that Paul laid out earlier of joy, which leads into suffering and endurance and character and hope and joy again. When we sin and we suffer because of it, Christ is there for us. When others sin against us and we suffer for it, Christ is there for us. The knowledge that in eternal glory with God, because of what Christ has done on the cross, because he has rescued us, there will be no suffering of any kind. That affects all kinds of then situations here we still deal with, of other kinds of sufferings. Our secure eternal salvation affects all of the types of sufferings we endure here in this life. We can have hope in suffering that comes from the fallen world, Violence, sickness, job issues, family drama, marriage struggles, financial hardships, loss of a loved one. For myself, this process that we've been walking through, that Paul has laid out, I have felt this very personally in my life this past fall. I have, um, my father passed away at the end of December, but months before that, his cancer had come back for uh, the third time, and this time it, it really it came on with a vengeance, it was um, in his um, bones, in his lymphatic system, in his organs. It was everywhere this time. And there was a point where my brother and his wife were still, uh, they live out of town. They still had not made it back. So I was helping uh, care for my father. My sister would come during the day, and I would stay with my dad at night and his wife because he was too big of a person for, my, for his wife to uh, help deal with, getting up and down. He had lost all of his strength. And there was a time for several weeks where... Um, He had just basically zero strength, and I was staying overnight with him every night and taking much of the day, too, when my sister wasn't able to come over. It was just two or three weeks. I was just physically exhausted. He would get up seven or eight times in the night, and I would get up every time. He would just holler for me. I would get up out of the room, across the hall, and help him, whatever he needed. And I was just mentally exhausted. I was physically drained. And also in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this is, these are likely the last weeks or months with my father. And we're sitting in church, and we're going through, um, we were singing His Mercy is More. And I was sitting in the front, and I, I'm just weeping, just physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion. Spiritually, I, I wasn't drained, because Christ has never let me get to that point. But I was, I was running low on spiritual juice at that point, too. Um, I was trying to help pastor a family who had lost um, a baby at birth. And Christ, as we sang that song of thinking of what Paul is talking about, this mercy of Christ and how he walks with you through these things and suffering, which produces endurance, which produces character, which gives you hope, which brings joy. And I'm just, I'm weeping before I'm supposed to get up and preach. Just reflecting on Christ's mercy, exactly what Paul is talking about. Not only the mercy of my salvation and thankful that I am in Christ, but then my mind just continued to walk through this process, not even thinking of the scripture, but because I am saved by him, he continues with me right now in my life, and it was just a tidal wave of his mercy came crashing over my heart, and it took my relationship with him to a level it has never been before in my life, and just knowing he has walked with me through those things and carried me enough to continue not only to feed my own soul in Christ and in his word, but continue to be able to overflow into others still at that time. And so as Paul writes this process, I I can testify to these things. This is truth. This happens in real life through us as believers. This fuels everything, that joy in Christ, this process has been worked out in my own life. I hope that sounds wonderful to you too as you think on these things. I pray that your heart is drawn to him. We have we have loving deep relationships with many people in our in our earthly lives. But nobody here is like Christ. Nobody. You need him in your life. Won't you come to him if you don't truly know Christ? Whether you've never heard any of this before or whether you've sat in pews for decades. If you have not truly come to know Christ, I pray that you would make that decision right now. He is, he is greater than you can put into words. And I can testify to the truth that he is there for you, both before loving me as a sinner and caring for me after as a child of God in a way that is just amazing. If he pursued you while you ran from God, how much more will he be there for you as a friend. You think, that's an odd thing. Friend? Christ? It seems like you're compromising something about his character. But in John 15, 13, Christ himself, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He is our king and he is also our friend. Friendship is in the deepest heart of Christ to come and walk with us through these things after the glories of him saving us from eternal death and condemnation. Only grace can explain a sovereign king welcoming sinners like us as his friend. Come to Christ if you have not given him your life, truly given him your life. Give him everything, every aspect of your life. Make it his. You will not regret it. As you face sin and suffering in your life, turn to Christ. Lean on Him for everything. Get to know Him. Get to know Him well. Get to know His heart through the Word of God. This is where you're going to find who He is and His character, His heart for you. Time in Scripture will continue to reveal Him to you. will point you also to those paths of obedience as a follower of Christ. You cannot just bathe in His grace without pursuing the obedience He calls you to. Make time in prayer a priority as well. And know, as I would encourage everyone to, to find a gospel-believing church that preaches preaches Christ all year around and go as often as you're able. I know you are blessed with that kind of church here. Do not take that for granted. God designed us for community. Be disciplined about following Christ. In these things, spiritual disciplines are not how you earn God's love, but they are how you enjoy it. So enjoy Christ as you depend on Him for everything in sin and in suffering. And know that both then and and now you are held by Him, you're being kept by Him, and walked through all of the things you will endure in life. The familiar hymn. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Pray with me, Lord, we thank you for your son as we encounter all kinds of suffering in this life, some caused by us, by our sin against you and we ask that you would give our hearts the desire to turn from those things, to confess them, to repent. Help us to make those necessary changes in our lives, to fully give everything over to you, not only as savior, but as Lord of our life. Let these words from Paul sink in into our hearts. The joy that comes with salvation and what that joy fuels through the hard things that brings us the ability, the endurance to be able to withstand suffering, which then, again, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, builds our character to be more like Christ and bolsters our faith to remind us of the things that he continues to carry us through which produces a hope we cannot explain but that only comes from what Christ has done for us and the joy again that that hope brings that fuels us through these cycles of life that we all endure. We thank you for Christ who he is for us both then as sinners and now as children of God and what a blessing that is. Help us to be glorifying him in every every moment of every day and all the things that we are pursuing and we can glorify him and enjoy him forever we thank you for christ the salvation is death on the cross we pray for hearts who do not know him here this morning that they would be drawn to him they would make that decision to confess and turn from those sins admit their need for christ and come to him and he too will hold them fast We thank you for all of these things and for your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.